Under construction is the premier telescope of the next decade. A next generation space telescope designed to cause yet another giant leap forward in our understanding of the cosmos. It will carry some of the most advanced technologies ever placed on an orbiting observatory. segments, 2.75 times the diameter of Hubble's primary mirror. Microshutters, wavefront sensing and control subsystem, 12 by 18 meter, 5 layer captain based sun shield. The Webb Telescope, a revolutionary tool able to study every phase in the history of our universe. The Webb Telescope. Hello everyone, my name is Brendan, but you know that, and this is the state of the universe, but hopefully you know that as well, because you clicked on it. And that, my friends, is a trailer. A trailer that was made in the year 2009. In 2009? What grade was I in? Was I? I was in like 7th seventh, eighth, seventh or 8th grade in 2009. You know what grade I'm in now? I'm in PhD grade, okay? Dep it's also called depression sometimes, okay? And a lot of people do call it that. PhD, synonym is um, hatred for one's own life. But, nevertheless, we're here in the year 2019. Ten years later, that trailer was made. NASA, you messed it up. You messed it up because you made the trailer and the movie doesn't come out until 2021. Do you understand that? James Webb was under construction beginning in 1996. Okay? I was one year old. One year old. James Webb was supposed to launch originally in 2007. Okay? Now you might wonder, what is the James Webb Space Telescope? Well, that's why you're here. Me, I'm here today with the great Dr. Natalie Willette. We talk about what the James Webb Space Telescope is. And you might say, Brendan, who is this character? What are her credentials? I don't know anything about her. She is the coordinator for the Institute for Research on Exoplanets at the University of Montreal. And most importantly, she's the Canadian outreach scientist for the James Webb Space Telescope working with the Canadian Space Agency. So she knows all about it. Okay? Why didn't this thing launch in 2007? Why? Okay, more importantly, why has it not launched yet? $10 billion we've put into it. $10 billion, with a B, with a B. Now you might say, Brendan, couldn't that pay off student debt in the United States? Nope, sure couldn't. Sure couldn't. Wouldn't even come close. You know how close it would come? Not close at all. That's how close. So, Natalie's here to talk to us today about the James Webb Space Telescope, and I have a very important question for her. What happens? We'll talk about in the episode. It's a risky procedure. There's a reason it's taken so long. It's not supposed to launch until 2021. That's like if I make a trailer for an episode right now. If I make the trailer for this episode right now, and I don't release the episode until 2031. Now, I edit slowly sometimes, okay? But I don't edit that slowly. Because if I edited that slowly, you know what wouldn't work? This show. You know why? Because I could produce four episodes before I die. Now with that being said, I edit fast. 
I had it fast. That's why you're here. You're here because you want to know. Brendan, when's the James Webb launching? And most importantly, what happens if that risky procedure, which we'll talk about in the show, fails? What do we do if it doesn't work? That's why we're here. That's why you're here. I asked Natalie that question. Natalie, as a member, as a coordinator, as an outreach scientist for the Canadian Space Agency, as someone working closely with the people constructing the James Webb Space Telescope, what happens if it doesn't work? What happens if the 10 billion US dollars and the many, many, many other dollars spent around the world on the other countries that we're collaborating with, Canada and Europe, Europe? Yeah, Europe. European Space Agency. But Europe's not a country, Brendan. Why'd you say it was a country? Uh, because I'm dumb. That's why. Okay? Europe's not a country. Did I always think it was a country when I was a kid? Sure did. Did I think Asia was a country when I was like five? Yup. Did I think that we're done? Okay? No, no more about what Brendan thinks because Brendan thinks dumb shit. Okay? Brendan has a history thinking dumb shit. So we're going to stop. We're going to stop talking about what Brendan thinks and we're going to start talking about what Natalie thinks. What happens if JWST, James Webb Space Telescope, the $10 billion investment meant to be the most powerful telescope ever created? The telescope that will teach us more about the universe than any other single telescope in the history of forever? What happens if it doesn't work out? And what do we do and how do we come back from that? Now, I'm not saying it will fail, okay? No one's saying it will fail, but it's worth talking about what happens if it does, okay? Where are we left? What do we do, etc. Thank you for listening, people. Appreciate it. This week we got a short episode for now. We'll have a longer episode later in the week. And I appreciate you for listening to both of them because presumably you will. All right. We were, for the first time, top 10 in the United States. First time ever, top 10 in the United States. That is a feat in the science category. Top 10. Okay. That has never been done by this show before. We've topped out in the top 10 in other countries, but never, ever, ever in the United States. So that's a big feat. That's a big feat, all right? And we have no ads on the show, you might notice. The reason we have no ads on the show? Because I don't want to put ads on the show if I can continue getting donations from the people, the lovely people like you that are listening. All right? So go to paypal.me slash Drackler, or just go to my website. Just go to thestateoftheuniverse.com and consider giving some money to the show. If you don't want to give money to the show, you can help in another way. Here's how. Subscribe on YouTube, like the videos, share the videos, comment on the videos, rate the show five stars on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and that's all I need from you. So, thanks for being here. Bye-bye. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and to make it even more crazy, we will soon be, soon, with quotes, with hard quotes, soon be launching the JWST, the ah! James Webb Space Telescope. Okay? Me, my heart hurt. <laughs> Can oh. you describe... The timeline of the J it's cost ten billion now, right? Yes. Ten that's billion right. US dollars, I think, and I I'm not sure what the the other I don't I'm not sure who all we're working with. The US is working with on the JWST. I'm not sure the Canada? Yes, Canada and And Europe. Europe. Okay. I didn't I knew it was Canada, obviously, that's why you're here. But uh I didn't know if there was anyone else. Um Explain the timeline so far, because this thing has been proposed and has been being worked on for a long time. I visited it back in 2015, maybe. I went to Goddard Space Flight Center in in near D.C., and I got to hang out with it, if you will. Um, I okay. got to see it. 
I got to, to talk to people about it. And it's still very much in the building phase. Um, or may, maybe not It's in building. the testing phase. Okay. Testing. The but test. then we test and we're like, mm, this thing doesn't work very well. And then they build a new component, right? Is is There's a little bit of that going on. A little bit. But, yeah. but testing has been going well for the last year. Okay. La- last year, there was a test where things went a little awry. What was and, the test? Um, I don't, I don't remember. It was a vibration test, oh, vibration and acoustic test. I think I did hear about this. And uh, basically a bunch of screws who were loose yeah. fell off. Okay. Fair um, and, and at that point, there was some restructuring done. NASA um, maybe took too much of a step back mm-hmm. from its contractors, uh, and it's sort of gone and increased its supervision of all the steps. But we redid that test in February, and it went well this time. And we've finished a few other tests, and we are on the point of assembling. The the telescope has been in two parts mm-hmm. for a little while, the spacecraft part with the sun shield, and then the, the mirror part with the instruments. But now the two parts will be joined together, and then it's going to go through another round of tests because that's how it's going to be in space. It's going to be in one piece together. Mm-hmm. So we have to make sure that it can survive vibrations, um, sound waves, um, all the extreme temperatures it's going to be undergoing, that the vacuum of space. So it's going to have all those tests. And then after that, we should be ready to ship it off to the launch pad. And that yeah, is the scariest a- part. Oh, for me. yes, that is very scary. Well, getting to the launch pad or when it actually launches? Both. Both. <laughs> Getting to the launch pad. I remember when I was at Goddard. I don't. Where is the James Webb right now? Do you know? Right now it's in California. Okay. How did they get it to California? Um, I mean, to from like Goddard yeah. to and like Houston and everything. Yeah. Because it was in pieces. Um, they had like very large transport vehicles. Yeah, I remember when I was at Goddard. They were talking to to me about how they have to transport it, and they were t- saying that they have to. Certain pieces can go on airplanes. Certain pieces have to go on boat because yeah, it's yeah. not a good idea to drive them on a road. Certain pieces yeah. have to be like driven, but they have to have like a, um, like a, essentially like security. Security is not the word, but like an entourage essentially of, of people following along across the country. It's, yeah. um, a, a very, very interesting. So now we're safely in California. Yes. Which I know that even when I was at Goddard in 2015, they were a little worried about the transportation even in California. Mm-hmm. So now we have to transport it to the launch pad and eventually send it up. Can you describe its unique launch? It'll be the first of its kind in the way that it will deploy. Because That's it's right. a huge thing. I, how how tall is it? How big is it? I was there. And it's I... 6.5 meters across yeah. and like maybe, I don't know, like 10 meters tall. Mm-hmm. The sun shield, like in the other direction, is the size of a tennis court. So however big that is. <laughs> yes. So huge. The answer huge. is like huge, right? And Very you can't large, launch yeah. it. You can't launch this giant, for the Americans, that's a 20 by 30 feet, essentially. Rounding up and rounding down. Mm-hmm. Rounding all sorts mm-hmm. of ways. You can't launch a 20 by 30 feet, like, fragile, giant shield into space. That That's yeah. not going to work. So There are no rockets large enough to fit that inside. Right. So how do we yeah. do it? How's it going to be done? So the way that we do it is that we do a little bit of origami. Mm-hmm. We build the telescope in such a way that the the sun shield is sort of scrunched up on itself. 
the big primary mirror has foldable components. So uh, it folds up into three parts and then that folds down. So it's all folded up into like a little, little ball, if mm -hmm. you will. And that fits into the Ariane 5 rocket. And then when that will be launched up, all of the rocket components and the boosters and everything, you know, fall off. And then while it's careening through space, towards its final destination, like a million miles away from Earth, it is unfolding. And mm -hmm. I didn't actually know this up until a few years ago. I thought that it was going to like safely stay stowed mm -hmm. and then go to its final destination, Lagrange Point 2. Yep. And then there, once it's there, it'll be like, okay, I, it's, there's an all clear, everything is good, uh -huh. now it can unfold. No, 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 it's going to start unfolding as it's moving towards L2. So that, for me, is particularly scary. Yeah, I didn't know that, actually, until you just said it. Because I had the exact yeah. same impression. That it would go to L2, and it would... Nope. It would Simultaneous. See, that is terrifying to me. Because you have yes. a, literally a $10 billion project floating through space, where any number of things could happen. Um, it, it has to unfold, and you have this... It's like 82 moving parts or some insane number of moving parts. Do you know the number? It's like, like 190 actuators. Oh, so way lot larger than I thought. So it has to go through this crazy unfolding procedure. Do you know how big like the sh the um module that it will be launched on is? Like how small does it curl up? The Ariane 5? I don't remember the the dimensions mm -hmm. of the Ariane 5 off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But it will it will be a really tiny thing. And then become a really big thing. And it has to do that within the vacuum of space where it's incredibly cold. Where yeah. it's hard, not hard to simulate on Earth, but but many things could go wrong. Um, yeah. That's why it's and taken I mean, so long. That's why we're doing all the tests. Yes. But it's pretty impressive. Like there are these like just giant vacuum tanks mm -hmm. that accommodate the big mirror. And then you just like shove this thing in and then you like suck all the air out of that, you know, giant tank to simulate the vacuum of space. So just just the testing technology that's been, you know, produced to try and test this giant telescope has been really impressive. Yes, it, it, it has. And, you know, when we launched Hubble, we had a problem with one of the mirrors. When we turned Hubble yes. on for the first time, we had a problem with one of the mirrors. But we were thankfully able to repair it because it was in low Earth orbit. This will not be mm -hmm. the case for the JWST. No. If it doesn't and, work. And I mean, Hubble... Yeah. Hubble was not tested right. thoroughly. Mm -hmm. And maybe they were banking on the fact that it was in low Earth orbit and astronauts could do maintenance and repair work on it if needed. But that's why we're sort of a little bit skittish to, mm -hmm. you know, launch it prematurely. We want to make sure everything is working well because otherwise it is bad news. Yeah, and one of the things that scares me as a scientist is projects like this, when they succeed, they do fantastic things for this entire field. They do fantastic things. They generate interest from young people. They generate interest from high school students. They generate interest from lawmakers and people, and you get a resurgence of funding in science. If they fail, though, then all of a sudden you have a $10 billion, um, you know, investment that that doesn't pan out it doesn't give you anything now of course as scientists we say but wait it gave us tons of stuff we developed all these new testing mechanisms and we came up with beautiful ways to build telescopes in the future um but if it fails i fear that that will will impact scientific funding for a long time 
What do you what do you think about that? And obviously you you probably are like don't talk about we're not even going to talk about it failing. Let's not talk <laughs> about that possibility. Yeah. Which is fine. I I'm not saying it will. I'm no, in no way am I detract I'm not being a detractor and be like this is a waste of money. I think it's fantastic. And I hope it works and I hope so much that it works. Um but but I do like to think about the way scientific funding has historically been and we've gotten lucky. I talked to Ray Weiss, the Nobel laureate for uh, the developer of LIGO, and he talked about how that was a $1.1 billion investment from the NSF, the largest funded project they've ever done. And had it failed, had it not detected gravitational waves, it would have impacted every future project that was ever proposed. Every risky yeah. project that ever got proposed would have now been looked at with a new level of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. It's true that in the mission, we're a little bit you know, we try to not talk negatively too much, mm-hmm. but the people who are doing the project management need need to keep that in mind. The scientists maybe can put their blinders on a little bit more, and that's that's okay. Um, I'm sort of like at the nexus of that because I'm a scientist, but also because I'm an outreach scientist, mm-hmm. I have to be prepared for media and journalists and lawmakers and the public in general to ask me those kinds of questions. And trust me, we are like building a giant communication contingency plan. If something goes wrong, what do we do? What do we say? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we spin this? Um, It's interesting when you're working on a flagship mission that where the stakes are so high, because indeed if something goes wrong, then everything, it has repercussions for decades to come, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, if, if James Webb didn't work, it puts W first in jeopardy. It puts whichever of the other four flagship missions from NASA that are being decided on right now, it puts that in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. It puts things like international collaborations in jeopardy, yeah. essentially. Um, when you think about something like the Mars rover program, and and all the landers, oh, they have less than a fifty percent success rate. Right. They've still managed to keep the momentum, and people, I think, don't turn around and say, "Oh, why are we wasting all this money on Mars?" You know, like mm-hmm. less than fifty percent of these landers are are not exploding, like they're not they're landing correctly. But obviously, because it's such a high bill, and because there have been so many delays. We're already under a lot of scrutiny. So there's no easy answer to that. There's no really answer to that. Right. We yeah. just do the best that we can. We are very aware not only of the responsibility we have for this mission, but for space astronomy in our different countries in general. And and we just do our best and hope for the best. But th- at the same time, you have to take these kinds of risks. I was just going to say that. I think that risk is imperative in science. Yeah. You know, I I had an, a, a discussion with um, someone who is a CRISPR, CRISPR scientist, um, biologist. And I was, I was saying this similar thing that, you know, there's a point where testing has to stop and you just have to try something. Now, I'm not saying we should go and start editing genomes, but I'm saying in the history of science, the most monumental strides have happened based off of risks, whether mm-hmm. it be the Apollo missions, whether it be Hubble, whether it be hopefully the James Webb, whether it be LIGO. The most monumental strides happen off of us taking a risky idea, putting forth our best effort, and seeing if it pans out. 
And I think that at some point you just have to do that. So I'm looking forward to James Webb, the eventual launch. But when it does get there, and it will, it'll get there. And it'll turn on successfully. How will it help us in the world of exoplanets? Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you being here. I just appreciate you. And I hope that you appreciated this episode. And if you did, please like the show, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Do whatever you have to do to keep coming back and listening some more. If you want to hear this full episode, go check it out on my website, on the YouTube, on the Apple Podcasts, whatever. This is just a 10, 15-minute clip of an otherwise one-hour-and-a-half conversation about James Webb, exoplanets, and a ton of other stuff. So if you want to hear the whole episode that Natalie and I recorded together, go check that out. Bye-bye.